Welcome to this episode of Paradise Talks. I'm Emma Bartholomew. When you think of sexy brands or even products that would be sexy to sell, let's say, life insurance probably wouldn't be that high on the list. Beyond being presumed maybe dry or dull, there's the whole taboo around the subject of death and a reluctance for us as consumers to face up to our own mortality and think about what happens to our loved ones after we've gone. So today, we're looking forward to an open and candid chat with a guest who represents a life insurance brand that is so far from boring or corporate that it might just make you sit up and listen. Banishing taboos, opening up the conversation around death and what happens to the people we love after we're gone, and doing it all in the cleverest of irreverent and appealing ways is the brand Dead Happy. And joining me to tell us how genius branding is done when it comes to the unspeakable is Dead Happy's head of brand, Eddie Edwards. Welcome, Eddie, to Paradise Talks. Hi, Emma. Good to meet you. Thank you for that very kind intro. I'm not sure about genius branding, but we're certainly enjoying it. But thank you. Well, the pressure is on you, Eddie, to convince us of that genius branding, but I don't think you're going to have to work very hard from what I've seen. Um, So let's start off with maybe you telling us um, a little bit about what Dead Happy is. Okay, so the simplest answer to that is at the moment, Dead Happy is a predominantly a life insurance um, business. So we, we start life insurance. I think we don't want to be just a life insurance business. We're on an invest, investment path. So we have to prove that we can be profitable as a life insurance business, which we're doing right now. In fact, um, we're in the next round of investment as we speak, and that should be completed in the next few days. So it's all going really, really well and on track. But at the moment, the business is a life insurance business. Eventually, we will be a debt services brand, although we, you know, we're not afraid of, of the word death, but we prefer to call it afterlife planning or death planning. Um, because it's all about planning for what anything you want to happen after you die, which can go off in a myriad of different products, services, and experiences. But at the moment, Dead Happy, really, we do offer wills, but predominantly we're a life insurance business. Okay. And I can see already that there's so many little nuances and different linguistic approaches to this whole business that um, I'm guessing describing Dead Happy as a brand might also be a slightly nuanced affair. How would how would you describe Dead Happy as a brand? I think we'd all describe it slightly differently. You're right, nuance is, is definitely an issue, but we're a disruptive brand without a doubt. Um, within the life insurance space, you know, we know that it's incredibly traditional and antiquated, so we are a disruptor. I think something that we're, we're communicating more and more, and certainly going into the Q1 of next year, we're going to be um, basing our campaigns around, is the fact that we're not just a brand. We're not just a kind of a coat, a funny little irreverent brand um, attacking traditional um, through funny little videos and things. Actually, our product is innovative as well. So we've, we've made it, we've redesigned the whole life insurance product. We've changed the question set. And we've made it a lot easier and quicker to apply. We're, we're it's just making it affordable and accessible, but the product is innovative as well. So it's not just about applying a brand or a behavior or a tone of voice to an existing product. It's a blend of the two. Okay. And so I think you've already started to touch upon this um, in what you've just said, but 
was there a gap in the um, establishing of what was essentially at the beginning a life insurance company and the developing of the brand around that? Or were those two things kind of born together? Because I I see Dead Happy as very much a personality-driven brand and and company. You seem that seems to be within your DNA. So was that kind of at the at the foundation stage, or or did the idea for the business come and then the brand kind of built up around it? Yeah, that's that's quite perceptive, Emma. But um, weirdly enough, it was. So to touch on this is probably to explain that there are two founders. One of them, um, a guy called Andy Knott, actually loved the name Dead Happy probably 10, 12 years ago. He just fell in love with this term, Dead Happy, probably coming from maybe Liverpool or the north in terms of dead good. Um, and he protected the URL and thought, I really, he's a serial entrepreneur. He ran a, an ad agency and a video games company. And he thought there's something in this, and um, I'm not sure it was what it what it would be. But a couple of years after that, he tried to get life insurance, and realised how ridiculously painful the process was, how archaic it was, um, and really struggled to actually get life insurance um, apart from anything else. And that's where the seed was born in terms of a, a creative mind, an entrepreneur marrying an opportunity with a seed of a thought that he already had. And then he was introduced or met a guy called Phil Zeidler, who is from the insurance industry, so an entrepreneur within the insurance industry. And when they got together, they realized they had something special and something that could be truly disruptive. Uh, And Andy, being a creative brain, created a pitch deck, really, for investment. And that's really where the brand was born, because he was starting to create ads, a tone of voice. Um, You know, he was a logo you know, the basics of a brand right the way through to tone of voice. So you're absolutely right. Right from the beginning, brand and communication and an emotional connection was born at the same time as as these two guys going out and seeking investment. So it was right. Brand was really evident and um, and, a, and a seed right from the beginning of the business. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love that uh, birth of the brand story because that's obviously truly where disruptive brands come into any space is the frustration of what exists beforehand and then the aspiration to create something to disrupt that space and and obviously make things better. Um, And some of your goals as a brand are clearly and really importantly, I think, as a consumer from my side, are around the core principle of changing attitudes to death, if that doesn't sound too grand. Um, How do you approach that when it comes to reaching an audience who may not even realise or want to admit that this is something that they need to engage with? Slightly tricky waters sometimes, I guess. It, it can be. The biggest problem is people misinterpret what we're trying to do. I think you're absolutely right about we've got a purpose, which is changing attitudes to death. And it does sound a bit grand, if I'm honest. I and mean, we all kind of accept that for a life insurance business to be talking about changing attitudes to death. But again, hopefully in a few years' time, well, certainly sooner than that, we're going to be way more than just life insurance. And we can touch on all sorts of amazing things you can do, um, admittedly preparing for what happens after you die. But we're not grief counsellors when it's not all about the point of death it's not all about funeral planning it's about the opportunities that arise after you die where you can make other people's lives a lot better 
Um, and you can leave things that you really want to leave to while you're living that you've got greater peace of mind or the things that just are joyful, that are funny, that you can actually leave people the smile on the face. But I think the misinterpretation comes when people think that we're being irreverent or too irreverent or disrespectful to death itself. And actually people that have lost loved ones or certainly through the pandemic, it's put a different framing on us and our funny, if you like, advertising that people think that we're in some way been disrespectful to people who have gone through any experience of death. And actually it's not about that at all. It's about empowering people to do what they want to do um, and what they want to be triggered and actioned after they die. So it's that, that misinterpretation. We've been, even had people on Facebook saying that they um, telling us to go to places we don't really want to go um, because they don't want health insurance. So people conflate lots of different things. They think we're funeral planners um, or health insurance, and actually, it really is about empowering people, and that's what we feel really passionate, passionately about this. But unfortunately, in our society, people worry very much about death and shy away from talking about death. So, but the next generations coming through seem to be much more open about it. Other societies are much more open about it. There are plenty of podcasts around, uh, so it's getting a much, much more. It's much easier to talk about death in certain spheres, but a lot of people just um, think it's out out of order and that we're being disrespectful. But we kind of can't worry about that. We've got much bigger aspirations to to help change the narrative. Um, but there is a lot of misinterpretation. I think I don't know if yeah, that answers that your question, Emma. Oh, it it absolutely does. And and you mentioned some really interesting and I think important things to to face up to, which is the fact that um, it can be a delicate subject. Uh, but I think if you're bringing authenticity of purpose to it, then um, at some point the the conversation slightly changes. And um, I think that's, that's the kind of interesting cultural change maybe that we will hopefully start coming towards as a society. Um, but you also mentioned a very important element in what you've just said, which is the the next generation, and yes, I'm sorry to hear that you've had those kind of encounters on Facebook, but I guess we all face those no, at, at some point. And it, yeah, I mean, as I said, if you're if you're bringing authenticity, then you can always um, face those those kind of criticisms or those comments. Um, but thinking about that next gen audience, how do you go about keeping their attention in this era that we find ourselves in, which is literally zero attention span, and you're competing as a brand with everything from cat videos to fake news on literally anything that has a screen or a reflective surface? I mean, how how do you go about keeping that attention? I think that the, the main thing is, as simple as it sounds, is humour. Yeah. We're, we're, empathi we're empathizing in terms of a tone of voice of being frustrated with things that are a bit shit. I'm allowed to say that on your yep, podcast. Yeah, you're totally allowed you know, the to world, say that. Yeah. The, the, the world is full of frustrations. Um, we, we want things and we want things to be uncomplicated and to be authentic and to be honest. So we're trying to be as honest as we possibly can to break down taboos, to break down barriers. And you know what? Have a bit of fun. And we're not obsessed yeah. with fun. But just bringing some humor to this, some lightheartedness. This is, we're talking about planning. We're talking about planning for things that you want to happen. There's an element of admin to it. But really, it's about empowering you to get what you want, ultimately. And so, but the, the overlay of humor is massive for us. And that seems to be what's getting the cut through. 
Um, we do do some very straightforward marketing. We do some straightforward messaging, some very kind of obvious call to actions. But it's always those moments of humor where you're not actually selling very much are the, are the moments where we get the greatest engagement. And then from a marketing point of view, then we've got something to work on and, and push people through the funnel to get all kind of marketing on uh, in there. But um, it's humor. Humor is a massive, massive part of our values and our DNA. Yeah. And you've just said it again there, DNA. It seems to be so much at the core of of the personality of the brand. And I think for me, um, that humor, that that huge part of your approach being the irreverent humor, which I'm a big fan of. I mean, I, I, I know that irreverent humor could, as you said, seem inappropriate at times around this subject, but it it's injected so um cleverly and so naturally into the brand voice and your content um and i'm sure that a lot of our listeners would um agree with your perception that traditional life insurance is shit um to put it bluntly um and i i'm i honestly feel like they will be glad that you're trying to redesign that uh space in some way um but you you just mentioned there the kind of um balancing of maybe the serious messaging alongside sitting alongside that irreverent humor is that um a delicate balancing act or is it always very clear where you want to inject that personality and where as you said you've just got your very clear call to action much more straightforward messaging is that is that always an, an obvious choice it's, it's really tricky. So you're right in as much. So there's loads of series. We could spend ages talking about why traditional life insurance is shit, but in a, in a yeah. nutshell, it's not fit for purpose. Um, and what I mean by that is most people sign up to a, a, what they call a level term life insurance, which means it's 20 or 25 years. And they calculate the price of that based on guessing that your health will be a certain state over those 25 years, which means you're front paying a lot of that money. It also means that if you change, they're totally inflexible. So if your life changes, i.e. you have a family or you move to a bigger house and you need greater insurance, what happens is you cancel that insurance policy and you start a new one and the cycle continues that you're, you're overpaying in the first few years. And it's a bit thick, really. So we don't do it with car insurance. We don't do it with most other insurances. Nearly all other insurances you can change year on year. But with life insurance, you're stuck. It's fixed. So the, the and I can give you loads of other examples. You know we can we, we, but we don't want to come across as insincere. We've got these serious messages, but we don't want to scare people. We can talk about protection gap stats. You know there are eight million people that don't have protection that probably should, i.e., mortgage owners or parents. There are 116 children that lose a parent every day um, that don't have protection. So there's loads of serious stuff in here, and we do release some of those stats, and we do because they underpin our product and the reason why there's an opportunity and reason why we've, we think we're helping people because this is about wanting life insurance, not necessarily just needing it. But getting stuck in that quagmire of serious and fearful stats is a tricky balance when we're trying to be irreverent and we're trying to bring some humor to it. So it is a tricky blend. We do have to be careful. I think we have to be careful in the sense of not coming across as too, as, as insincere and authentic. That's the problem, really, and that's the balance with some of the comms. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And thinking about um, coming into a space that desperately needs disrupting, as you've so perfectly just described, an imperfect system, um, 
that desperately needs changing. Have you come across much? Um, let's say let's let's be let's be twenty twenty one about it and call them haters. Industry, yeah. um, other companies, other long established companies who are very traditional and sticking with the kind of um, uh, status quo is is that something that happens or is it not that kind of industry is there not backbiting I'm, I'm not so familiar with the insurance uh, world um, that, 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 no that you will always get the insurance insiders trying to rubbish anything especially when you're innovating the product yeah. it's very easy to rubbish our personality and our humor because they'll just say that we're being a bit stupid or insensitive we don't care we don't care at all about the industry having a pop um, well, even even people say, for example, you get obviously you know about Facebook advertising. You can get direct feedback from your Facebook ads, mm. and we get a lot of people that hate us. In fact, we've got these two um, animated characters that I'm sure you're aware of, and we'll probably talk about in in, in a bit. Yeah, we Mick will. And yeah. Mick and Tell, and the reason why we've kind of created these characters is because they're at arm's length to a certain extent. They're representing our our potential customers, Mick thinks we're great and Terry hates us he thinks we're cowboys he'd rather go with a traditional trusted old school kind of um, company and it allows us to have that debate at arm's length but we do plenty of of comms and and advertising that really winds people up they hate the fact that we're called dead happy we have a, a tagline which is life insurance to die for we've had a campaign called please die responsibly and that's really tricky in a pandemic or through a pandemic to talk in those terms without winding some people up. I mean, some people think that we actually created the brand and the business during the pandemic to take advantage of it, which is which is nuts. But we get loads of haters. We get a lot of people piling in and, and telling us very, very, very um, candidly what to do with ourselves. But what happens then, Emma, is that people do a lot of the work for us because they you know, we've got we've got more fans in that respect than we have haters, and they come onto Facebook and start defending us. There are the customers that have already got a plan with us, or they like the fact that we're to- we're trying to disrupt. They pile in, people pile back, and we end up with just a stream. I mean, some of our ads have hundreds and hundreds of of engagements. You know, likes or comments. We've got for a life insurance business to get five hundred comments on a Facebook ad is almost unheard of. We don't mind if they're haters or not. We can justify certain product issues if they have that. Um, but really, you know, we do interject to a certain extent here and there and keep keep that conversation flowing. But we're not afraid of any of that. But there is plenty of hate. We'd, somebody wants, somebody said to me recently, don't worry about pissing people off. It's just make sure you piss off the right kind of people. And we don't yeah. mind. The, this, this, this industry is big enough to cope with dead happy coming along. And if we only take a, a small percentage of people that come with us on this journey, we'll be very, very happy. So we don't mind. In fact, we like it. And let's be honest, we'll probably provoke some of that hate um, because it, it provokes debate. And if we want to change attitudes to death, we can't be afraid of the haters. We just can't. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not afraid of the conversation in the first place, then you certainly can't be afraid of the other people already living in that space. Um, but yeah, this I is where, would t- totally... this is where taboos it's where taboos come from, isn't it? I mean, yeah, this is, it's, it's fear. It's fear of talking about something. So you 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 know you stick your head back in. We don't, we don't want things to be morbid and scary and fearful, but we've got to get people talking about this if they're going to plan properly um, and share even then we've got to get people talking about it on a more kind of open level for sure yeah absolutely and and on a on a thematic level that is keeping the conversation going which is healthy for all of us 
But um, on a brand level, it's I, I know I used the word before, but it is kind of genius because it's all engagement. And as you say, there will be some haters in that engagement, but it's actually just pushing your your fans um, further towards the surface, which is is fantastic. Um, I wanted to talk about specifically um, one of the things, one of the services that you offer. I'm not sure if this is a current service or something that you're planning uh, for the near future. But it's just a really, I thought it was a really nice example of something that ha- would have the potential to sound scary and maybe something we wouldn't want to face up to as consumers and everyday Joe Blogs members of the public. But it's really important. And that is your death wish. Could you explain to our audience what the dead happy death wish concept is and maybe how you go about marketing that? Right. Okay. So death wishes are, I'd say it's probably the most exciting part from a brand person, a a marketing person, an ad person, um, creating emotional connections. Death wishes are probably the most exciting part of this business, certainly for me. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I would say it's probably shared by everybody from the tech guys to the founders to everybody. And that is because essentially a death wish is just anything you want to happen when you die. And at the moment, if you create a will, you can have expressions of wishes. So you can give all your money away, your, anything you like. But most people don't put emotional things in. They, they don't put messages to loved ones. They don't leave videos. So that they, you know, they don't leave specific wishes for other than very, very close friends and family. It doesn't spread much further than that. Death wishes are our way of saying whatever you want to do, whatever you want to activate when you die, you can do that through Dead Happy. So anything's on, anything I could mention, I mean, eventually we well, we are doing wills, but death wishes aren't integrated into the wills product at the moment. But death wishes are central to everything. They're not just a feature or a bolt-on. Eventually it will be create a death wish and then spin it into life insurance, spin it into a will, put it into trust, you know, protect it, um, bind it, make it contractual. But death wishes are absolutely, this isn't in no way a negative. This isn't about some kind of Charles Bronson stuff this isn't about being violent or self-annihilation this is about really controlling what you want to happen when you die so you create a death wish and at the moment you can create death wishes that help you calculate how much life insurance you need or you just write expressions of wishes um and and when you you know when you die that will be passed on and whoever is in charge of that can choose whether they activate those wishes but Really, to answer your question, Emma, it's not a feature, it's not a bolt-on, it's not a little aspect. Actually, this is going to be central to everything we do, and we're calling them we're calling them death wishes, and it's incredibly exciting, not just from an emotional point of view, not just from helping people to decide what they want to do, but also from a commercial aspect, the, the, the possibilities of bolting on experiences as commodities to a certain extent for life insurance, or to just buy um, we've got this thing in our minds, uh, Death Wish Live, which is, you know, live them while you're still alive. If you've got this amazing idea and you want to send your friends to Vegas for, for a week when you die, well, you might want to do that when you're still alive. You know, you might go through it. It might become a bucket list thing rather than just after death. So Death Wish is central to everything, massively exciting, and, uh, yeah, not just a feature. They're, they're huge for us. Well, I think, honestly, the, the concept to my mind, um, in a kind of – humanitarian humane way is is really beautiful i think it's really important and i guess it also taps into a feeling that 
a lot of us may have faced up to over the last 18 months, which is, you know, our, the, the, the brevity of life and how those bucket lists, we need to get a move on. We need to pull our fingers out and get on with that stuff. So from a commercial point of view, I think it's brilliant. It's just, as you said, it, if you start with the death wish, which is literally just the basics of what, what do you want to happen when you die? That can be in, in terms of who do you need to look after? Who do you want to spend more time with before you go? And I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's exa- um, exactly, Anna. That's really, that's really good. I'm glad you said that. It's not, the, the point is about death services or afterlife planning. That, the reason why we call it afterlife planning is because it's almost like your death triggers so many things for other people. So it's almost like your end is the beginning of so many other things. But you're yeah. right. In the process of weighing up what you want to happen when you die and what you want other people to experience, actually your brain, your mindset will get into a, another, another space, which could be, hang on a minute. Why can't I do that now? Why can't yeah. I do that with my children now? Why can't I do that with my wife or girlfriend or husband? You know, why, once you're into the planning phase, it can be funny. You know, what do I want my funeral to be? What do I want to be played? What do I want people to wear? They're the, the, the obvious things, but this can be joyful. It can be celebratory and it can impact how you feel about your own, your own life as well as impacting other people and giving them more after you die rather than just, I know it sounds a bit, a bit of a cliche, but giving them more rather than less. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if if we can get to that mindset change, um, we all might get a bit more balance in the way that we think about our future because our future comes upon us far too quickly in most cases. And before we know it, it's here, whether that's getting older or getting closer to the end of our life. Um, but I guess sometimes it is difficult to um, encourage people to think about the, specifically the time after we've gone. And in terms of that, uh, do, would Dead Happy um, kind of outline a specific demographic that you would be targeting? Or because literally everyone has to face two inevitable things in life, one of them being our death, is, is everybody basically part of your sort of target audience and, and demographic? Would you, I hate to put it in that kind of crass term, no, no, but it's fine. It's that's fine. what it comes no, down it. to. Yeah, I get what you're saying. At the moment, so this is the kind of mild schizophrenia we've got in terms of products. So we've got life insurance, and life insurance is um, by nature, you will only get insured unless you pay a lot of money for, for full term or full life insurance. Um, you're not really, well, with us, actually, you're not going to get life insurance after the age of 60. So it brings that age down a little bit. It's a lot cheaper the younger you are, obviously, because of health issues. So, And because we do a lot of advertising on Facebook, there is a certain demographic, a sweet spot that is probably between 24 and 44. Um, but we go from 18 to 60. I, don't, I, I get a bit annoyed sometimes talking about demographics in terms of planning marketing. So I think the humor side of things and the personality and the brand isn't just about young people and getting young people to get life insurance. I think it's a mindset. And if you get yes. that mindset, if you connect with that mindset of people that want to be empowered, that want to have a bit of, you know, that want a bit of joy in planning, then that's that's what we're trying to aim for. So at the moment, because of life insurance and because we're making it, it's mobile first, it's very accessible, you don't have to go through prolonged paperwork and use um, IFAs and, and brokers beyond us. Um, it, we're just making it really, really simple. So that, and, and I guess because we're new, 
there are some older people that trust the bigger, more established brands. So it, it probably lowers the demographic to a certain extent because of all of those components. But as the wills come in more and more and as the other services come in more and as we grow with our audience, I can see that demographic getting a little bit older. But at the moment, the sweet spot is probably early 30s, early to mid 30s, because it's a lot of people like getting their first property, having their first kid that feel that they need or want life insurance. But when it becomes afterlife planning, then that blows the doors off the demographic a bit more. Yeah, that all makes complete sense. And I, I think you were talking about um, mindset as opposed to a specific uh, age group within a demographic there. And I, I personally, I think Dead Happy's no bullshit approach is hugely refreshing and would probably open up um, your appeal to such a broad range because it is about mindset and nobody's a fan of bullshit. So I imagine that that, that is, is a really promising prospect. Um, but is is the no bullshit approach something that you have to work at developing or is it more a case of just not building any bullshit into the language that you speak as a brand and as a company and the content that you then share on behalf of Dead Happy? Yeah, this comes from the founders. So anyone that joins yeah. Dead Happy, um, we've got our own internal values, of which some of them are family first, give a shit, um, you're not a fucking child. And that's not meant in a patronizing sense at all. It's actually about empowering people and less hierarchy. There's all sorts of all sorts of good things happening in terms of the culture. But it, again, it comes down to this DNA. No bullshit, transparency, honesty is how we operate as a business, as a group of people. So it's not something we have to try hard to achieve. And when it comes to copywriting or making the product more streamlined, and let's be honest, you know, a big part of our values is empathy. So empathize, talk people's language, you know, empathize with their state of being, whether it's their milestones in life or if people are pissed, we're all pissed off with the world. We're all pissed off with politics, with, you know, in, in a big way. Um, the pandemic, there are so many frustrations we've had in the last few days, haven't we, with MPs and things. So many things mm. we're angry about and that's so clearly, clearly wrong. Um, but why not tap into that? And it's not just from a cynical commercial point of view. It's because we're, we're real people as well and we're pissed off about those things as well. So if we can get the most streamlined products without the bullshit, you know, make it accessible to more people, cut through this, this kind of inaccessible um, bureaucracy that involves in, in, in insurance and life insurance in particular, we've got our manifesto there. We've got our kind of manifesto for change and our thrust. So it's really not difficult to, to wake up in the morning and know that we can behave like that. It's a very free, it's very liberating place to work actually, because we don't feel constrained other than <laughs> FCA. We've got to be careful that we don't do anything really offensive um, or misleading. But in terms of um, provocation and personality, it's, it's really free. So it's not difficult at all to, to follow that no bullshit mantra. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, you, you just touched briefly on it there. It must be liberating, but it must also be a fun process, I, I imagine. And thinking about sharing the overall message, taking the bullshit out of everything, the brand voice, the DNA and personality that we've been talking about, um, you you mentioned them earlier, Mick and Tell, the characters from your um, animated ads, which I really think they've got the personality of 
comedy shorts. It's honestly rare that I laugh at advertising out loud. And I definitely have been laughing at your content um, in the best way. Sometimes we laugh at content that does not mean to be funny because it's so appallingly bad. Um, but do you have a, a personal favorite as head of brand in terms of um, a favorite medium, let's say, for engaging your audience and potential customer base as a brand? My, my personal favorite is, the, as you said, the comedy shorts. It's having two and a half minutes, two to two and a half minutes to actually create a mini episode. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy, there's a guy, I have to give, give a shout out to a guy called um, Johnny Lang, Johnny Lang Studios. Yeah. who helps us create those. He does the voices, the animation, the edits. So we work really closely with him to create Mick and Tell. Um, and I just love them. And actually, the less selling we do, the more successful some of those shorts are. We do have to kind of shoe, shoehorn some sales messages in there. But I love those. It, they're like mini. In fact, we get loads of people telling us, writing to us and saying that they should have their own Netflix series, which is like the, <laughs> ultimate, the ultimate compliment. But we, yeah. I, I adore Mick and Tyler. I think they're really useful in, in terms of getting some of our messages across. But forget, forgetting all of that, they make me laugh. They yeah. make the guy that creates them laugh. He, he, as he's making the, the scripts and, and creating the audio, he's laughing to himself. You know, the amount of outtakes we've got. It's just, and, and I think it's really, the important point is we're there to entertain as well. And I think to get that engagement, let's entertain as well as, as get our selling across. And I think, but yeah, my favorite, it is Mick and Tell. We've got some really, really interesting ideas for disruptive PR stunts, that kind of stuff, which, which can be really hard hitting, which really excite me as well. Yeah. On a day-to-day basis, week-to-week, Mick and Tell. Uh, in fact, we've just, I've literally just uh, um, completed an induction with a new guy that's joined the, joined the team. He's one of the tech guys. And I said, you know, how did you come across Dead Happy? And he said, I was um, a recruiter called me up and said, these guys are looking for something. Have you heard of them? And he burst out laughing because he just watched a Mick and Tell video on Facebook. And he said, I absolutely love them. So oh, and awesome. this is one of the tech guys that's just joined us. So, yeah, Mick and Tell, I absolutely adore. And those okay. comedy, comedy shorts, yeah. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear that they're your favourite because they're certainly mine. Um just let the audience know where can they find that content because I think uh, just for the sake of entertainment they're going to enjoy it. So where where can people find Mick and Tell? They're, they're all on the soon to be on the website. But if you go to if you search up Dead Happy on YouTube, you'll find all of the TV ads, the Facebook episodes. We've just done a brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant Halloween trick or yes, treat. Yes, we episode, love that one, Paradise. Yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Which is, yeah, try distributing uh, sweets from a treat master and three thousand gun. <laughs> um so yeah they're, they're all on that search up dead happy on youtube you'll find them all there okay brilliant i everybody's in for an entertaining treat i can promise that um i can't believe it we're coming up to my final question for you eddie it's been such a pleasure talking to you today um this is this is a bit of a bigger picture one which is i'd love to know in your position within dead happy if you think we're ready as an audience as the public, as the consumer, however you want to think of us. Are we ready to talk about death and getting our shit together when it comes to life insurance? Some are, some aren't. I think I think a lot of people are more than ready. I think a lot of younger people are finding different ways. I mean, you see this horrible term, but the death space. I mean, you know, you've got a podcast called Grief Cast. You've got a lot of people just genuinely interested in death and what happens after death. 
So I think, again, not just young, but anybody, I think there's a huge appetite for just being really clear and honest and having that debate. So it's a bit of both. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think a lot of people are ready for it. I think probably more aren't ready in this country or in this kind of Western society, if you like. Um, but more and more people are opening up to it, and we'll we'll just help that along. But as I said, we, we, we start small. We'll help the help the narrative. There'll be a lot of other insurance companies that that will end up doing. We're already seeing it. People copying some of the personality, the tone of voice. So it, that's not a massive problem. If other people want to dive in, um, you know, it will help that narrative change. But I, I think a lot of people aren't ready for it. But we can't worry too much about them. I think as a society, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think it feels like it. I think we're we're just more open in general to having these healthy conversations. Um, well, Eddie, thank you so much. Um, I want to thank my guest, Eddie Edwards, Head of Brand at Dead Happy, for joining me on today's episode of Paradise Talks. It's really been enlightening and interesting I've been Emma Bartholomew, and we'll be back soon with more Creative Industry Insiders. To discover more about the agency and Paradise Talks, visit www.paradise.london.